Well, good morning, Village Church. I'm Matt, one of the pastors here at the Village. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, it's good to be with Dan and Woody Thompson this morning. You know what I mean? It's good to be with Dan and Woody Thompson this morning visiting us uh, from New Jersey. And I want to say, we're the kind of church that celebrates our partners when they come back, you know? As long as they don't come back from Texas, Tennessee, or Idaho, we're good. We'll celebrate. Like, you come back from New Jersey, we celebrate you. So, was, you know, we celebrate that. Celebrate that. All right. Well, with that out of the way, um, okay, again, I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village. Um, if you're new, we don't have a real chip on our shoulder about those places. It's just kind of like, anyway, if you were here the last few years, you know. So, so we're, we're, right now we're in the book of Luke, as you've seen, and um, we're in chapter 6 here. And we're talking about this idea that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one in so many ways. Jesus is the one for so many things. And this morning we're talking about this idea that Jesus is the one who brings the good life. That Jesus is the one who brings the good life. And what our world is telling us today is that the good life is the life that is rich. And it's the life that is full. And it's the life that is happy. And it's the life that is accepted. Our culture is telling us today, and especially you young people today, our culture is telling you, our culture is telling us that the good life is the life that is rich, that has excess, that has excess money to be able to do whatever it wants to do, the life that is full. We live in an I culture, in a me culture, the iPhone, the I this, the I that. We are a culture that just says we want to be filled, and our culture said that's it. That's where the good life is. It's a full life. It's a rich life. Rich, full, happy. This means blissful. This means we're so rich and we're so full. We have so much money to fill all our own needs that our life is just bliss. We, we don't think about other things. We don't think about hard things. Why would you want to do that? The good life is the life that is rich and full and, and blissful and accepted. That culture accepts you. That you have a lot of followers. You're never canceled. No one's opposing you. Everyone's loving you. Everyone wants to hear from you. Everyone wants you to be invited in. Everyone accepts you. Every kind of group, every segment of culture accepts you and invites you in. Our world is telling us that the good life is the life that is rich, full, happy, or blissful, and accepted. And, and listen to me. We know that our culture is lying to us. We know that our culture betrays us in this, and the reason we know this is because you and I all know people, a person or maybe a lot of people, who are rich and who are seemingly full, and who are seemingly happy, blissful. They don't think about negative things. Things are just great for them all the time, and people that are accepted by culture, accepted by the prevailing culture. You and I all know people like this who are still looking for the good life, who are still looking for the life that they long for, that are still looking for the life that they know they were created for. They intuitively know, I'm created for something beyond this. We all know those people. Our culture betrays us in this. We all know people who are as, well, the great artist Bono said, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, and if you guys don't know, he's the lead singer of like the best band in history, right? So it's like, that's, that's it's you too, right? You guys, you guys know, okay, so. Jesus will never betray us, amen? Jesus will never betray us in anything, and Jesus will never betray us in this thing. Jesus is never gonna betray us in anything, and he's not gonna betray us in this thing. If he says the good life is here, that's where it is. Jesus is never going to betray us Jesus is always going to tell the truth to us. 
Jesus will always tell us the truth about everything. He will always shoot straight with us. If you're a straight shooter, you're nothing compared to Jesus. Jesus is the straightest shooter that there is. He will level with us about where to find the good life and how to find the good life in and through him. And that's what is happening here in Luke chapter six. It starts with this phrase, and he came down with them and stood on a level place. This sermon is actually called the Sermon on the Plain. We're just getting into the Sermon on the Plain. Some people call it, some commentators call it the Sermon on the Level. And what's happening here is this. Jesus is choosing the place that matches his purpose. Jesus is choosing the place he wants to preach to match his purpose. The place is a plain, a level place. And his purpose is he's going to level with his disciples about what it means to follow him and what it means to find the good life in and through him as his disciples. And here we see that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who levels with us about how to find the good life. And he does this with all kinds of people. It says, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Primarily, Jesus is coming to level with his disciples. As he comes down from the mountain with them after praying for them and about them, he has his disciples now. He comes down the mountain and he's with them. This is primarily for his disciples. And this morning, primarily what's happening is Jesus wants to level with you and with me as his disciples about what it really means to follow him. So he's, he's addressing his disciples, but Jesus is also gonna level with people who are ready to discover more about who he is. It says that there were great crowds also from Jerusalem and Judea. Jesus has his disciples, not just the 12, but a great crowd of people that are already committed to him. That's most of us this morning. Jesus is also saying these things in an earshot of people who are open to discovering more about who Jesus is. And if that's you this morning, I know there are at least some of you this morning who are here in that place. You want to discover a little bit more. And And Jesus comes to level with people even who are very distant from him. They could not be more distant. It talks about people from Tyre and Sidon. They are geographically and spiritually distant from Jesus and from the people of God. And my assumption is there's at least a few of you here this morning that way as well, that that you feel distant from God. And what's happening this morning here in this sermon is that Jesus is going to level with his disciples. He's going to shoot straight with them. This is what Christianity really means. This is what discipleship really means. This is what it really is. And in any earshot is the people who are like, okay, I want to learn more. And in the earshot are also the people who are like, yeah, I don't know, I feel pretty far away from God. And I just want to say, this is the same reason we're all here this morning. That Jesus wants to level with us, no matter who we are. If you're a disciple of Jesus, Jesus wants to level with you this morning. That's why this is recorded here. He wants to just tell you the truth, shoot it straight with you. If you're a person that shares and wants to discover more, Jesus wants to shoot straight with you this morning too. He wants to say, hey, you, want, you really want to know? <laughs> you know, when people ask me all the time, you know, like uh, when, you know, when men meet and they say, hey, what do you do for work? And then they ask me like, hey, what do you do for work? And my, my first question back is always like, you really want to know? <laughs> you know, you, you sure? If, if you really want to know what Christianity is about, if you really want to discover, Jesus is going to tell you this morning. And if you're someone who's distant um, and feels like, wow, I'm really far away from God, um, he's going to draw you in by showing you how to find the good life through him. And if that's you, I just wanna tell you this morning, you came to the right place. You came to the right place. Whether it's me or Pastor David or Bowman or Sales, whoever stands behind this black podium on a Sunday, if you come to this church, I'm telling you right now, they're gonna shoot straight with you. They're gonna tell you the truth. 
about what it means to follow Jesus. We're not interested in beating around the bush or doing a bait and switch with you. We're just going to tell you what it means to follow Jesus. And what it means is amazing. And following Jesus is incredible. Amen? I mean, come on, church. We've got to be more convincing than that. We have guests here. I mean, is following Jesus incredible? Yeah, it's incredible. So listen, whether you're a disciple or you're someone who's here to discover or you just feel really distant from Jesus this morning, I got a question for all of you, for each of you this morning. The question is this. However you're coming, why did you come this morning to a place that you knew was going to talk about Jesus? Like, if you're a disciple, you came this morning because you know, like, I or someone else are going to stand here, we're going to talk about Jesus, we're going to talk about his gospel. Why did you come? If you want to discover, is, is that why you came? Because you're really interested. And if you feel distant from him this morning, why did you come? Is he drawing you in somehow? Like, why, why are you here this morning? My, my, my assumption is, my hunch is, that whatever category you would fit in, this neat little three categories, that, that you probably came this morning for the same reason that they did. It says in verse 18, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. I believe you likely came in part, whatever three categories you're in, disciple, discoverer, or someone who's distant, like you came this morning because you, you need help from Jesus. You need help from Jesus for something that you can't help yourself with. You don't have the power, the ability, the resource to help yourself. So you, I'm assuming you came this morning because you need his help and you may even need his healing in some way, shape, or form. You say, man, I'm beyond help. I need to be healed. I need something to be made right. Something is wrong and I can't fix it. I need his help. I need his healing. That's why I came. Maybe it's something physical. Last week we had people come at the end of service and pray for healing. We've, we've had people follow up and say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm better. Praise God. Maybe this morning you're coming for something physical. Maybe it's something emotional. Maybe you're just emotionally all wrenched up and you can't get free. Maybe it's more mental. It's, it's in your head. There's a lot of talk about mental health and anxiety today. And you're like, is that what it is? What is it? But my, my mind is not clear and, and I can't get over that. I can't get past it. Or there's something wrong in my marriage or with my kids or there's, my finances are a mess or this relationship is broken. Like some, I need his help and I need to be healed. And I just want to say, Clearly, that is not a bad reason to come to Jesus this morning. That is not a bad reason to come to Jesus. He can help. He's here to help. But what I want to also clearly say is there's a better reason to come to Jesus this morning. There's a better reason to come to Jesus this morning. That reason is to hear him, to hear clearly from him before we're healed or helped by him in some other kind of way. And there's an order to the hearing and the healing. Did you see it? Who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And my hope is that we all came this morning to hear from Jesus. That we all came just going like, Jesus, I need to hear from you about these things. I hope you came that way this morning. I'm, it's the way I'm coming this morning. I'm, I'm saying most of the words, but, but trust me, I am hearing as much as you are. I want to be hearing as much as you are. And what we all really need is to hear. We need to hear the good news about Jesus so that we can live the good life that Jesus has for us, that he's lived and died and risen to provide for us. It feels like we need this more than ever today, to hear from Jesus. Doesn't it feel like there's all these voices? There's so many voices. There's so many voices. There's so many other people that want us to hear them and what they have to say and where they think the good life is to be found. 
There's so many people, there's so many sales pitches. When you scroll on your Instagram feed, all you're scrolling through is a bunch of sales pitches. People are trying to pitch you on a product or they're trying to pitch you on a lifestyle or they're trying to pitch you on something that's actually gonna give you the good life that you think you want that you don't have. That's all that's happening. We're seeing more pitches today, sales pitches, than we ever have in the history of the world, in humanity. I, it's crazy. It's overwhelming. Listen, there's a better reason to come to Jesus this morning is to hear him, not just receive help from him. But I want to say this really clearly. But Jesus is gracious. And so even if you came to be healed by Jesus, even if you came to just, to, you just want help and healing, maybe even more than you want hearing, I, I want to say Jesus knows that and Jesus is gracious and he's kind and he's merciful and he's, he, is, he is so good. And so he's willing. It says in verses 18 and 19, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowds sought to touch him for power came out from him and he healed them all. I just want to say also clearly this morning, some of you need to be healed from something that is not just physical. Some of you are struggling with something in life, that whether it's physical or it's emotional or it's mental, it's relational. Something is fractured, something is broken, and it's been a long time. And it's getting worse and not better. And there's something that feels like a stronghold. Something feels attached to that. You can't get free from it. You can't make any progress. And I want to say that some of you ultimately probably need to be healed from things. You need to be released from things that, that aren't just physical. It's not just natural. They're ultimately spiritual. It said, and those who were cure, troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Now, <laughs> there's not a lot of talk about unclean spirits or demons today, but I have to tell you that demons are doing a lot of work today. The Bible talks about the unseen realm. The Bible talks about demons and demons were at work before the coming of Jesus. Demons were at work in the, in the coming of Jesus and the days that Jesus ministered. We see him healing and curing people of these, these things. And demons are at work after the coming of Jesus, after the ascension of Jesus. Like, they are spiritual beings. They, these are new days, but they're old demons. They're doing the same thing. They're continuing to work in these similar kinds of ways. And if you sense there's something spiritual connected to the things that you're wrestling with. I just want to openly say, after church, we have a prayer team and we would love to pray for you and pray over with you and help discern what those things are. You need to be released from those things. Jesus died and rose so that you can be forgiven and so that you can be free. Amen? So you don't have to be bound by those things. But whatever you need to be healed of, whether it has any spiritual connection or not, I just want to tell you, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the only one that can help you and can heal you from the things that you can't help and heal yourself from. And Jesus can do that in one of two ways. Pastor Bowman told us that just a couple of weeks ago, and we know this, that there, there are miracles and there are means, that sometimes Jesus will heal us in miraculous ways. Sometimes we pray for people and they are miraculously healed. And I don't know how else to say it, but I think I'm a normal, rational person, and I've seen it so many times I can't tell you. Jesus heals people in the moment sometimes, and sometimes he just uses means. And we could talk about that in other terms. We could see sometimes it's wonder and sometimes it's just wisdom. Sometimes God does a miracle and it's just something wonderful and we can't explain it. We're just like, there's no way that just happened. And sometimes it's just wisdom. It's like, well, actually you have this condition and the doctor prescribed this and now you go do this and you have this treatment and God uses all the means to bring about the healing that we need. 
your relationship is broken. You should go, you know, meet with your pastors. You should see this counselor. You should set up this plan to help restore your marriage or this relationship. Like, sometimes it's through means. Listen, we all need to be healed by Jesus in one way, shape, or form, but we all mostly need to hear from him and what it means to find life in and through him, the good life that he has for us as his disciples. And this is what Jesus begins to talk about here in the Sermon on the Plain. And it's, it's really broken up into contrast, as you saw, right? There's blessings and there's cursings. The blessings are the blessed life, the good life, the happy life. This is the good life that, that God created us for, right? And then there's the cursings. It's like, ugh, it's not so good over here. You, you could also say it's, it's the ways and the woes, right? It's, and Jesus literally says, woe to you. So don't go this way. Go walk in this way. This is the way. Walk, walk in this way. And it starts in verse 20, and then we see the contrasting verse in 24 where he says, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Verse 24, woe to you, but woe to you. Here's the contrast, who are rich, for you have received your consolation. That's all you're going to be getting. And here we see that Jesus is the one who says that the good life is with him, even if we are rich instead, I mean, even if we are poor, rather, instead of rich. That Jesus is the one who says the good life is with him, even if we're poor instead of rich. Now, what I want to say is Jesus is not saying here, I, I believe Jesus is not saying that all of his disciples will be poor. Some of you just went like, whew. You know, because, like, I'm rich, or I want to be, you know? So, like, you're like, okay, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, we actually talked about Priscilla and Aquila the other um, morning on the marriage weekend. Remember the tuxedo thing, remember? We talked about Priscilla and Aquila. They owned a large home where the church met. The church of, like, tens or up to hundreds of people would meet in the courtyard of their home. They owned their own business. They were likely wealthy Christians. It doesn't, this is not what Jesus is saying. And we also know that, that you can be righteously rich or unrighteously rich, and you can be righteously poor or unrighteously poor. Like as Christians, we could err on either of those sides. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about this. There's biblical wisdom about this in the Proverbs where it says two things I ask of you. Deny me not, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. I don't want to be a liar. And secondly, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, where is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The Bible's clear there's unrighteousness on, on both sides of this thing when it comes to riches. But then, if that's the case, why does Jesus say this? Why does Jesus say, blessed are you who are poor? Blessed are the poor. Why? And why does he start here? Of all of the things that he could do to make distinctions of with his disciples, why, why does he do this? Why does he start here? And I think there's a number of reasons, but I think there's two that are enough for us this morning. I think they're probably something like this. I just think we all want to be rich. I just think we all want to be rich or richer than we are. I just think we all want to be rich or richer than we are. And, and if that's not you, please, you know, see all of us after church, you know, because, because uh, please, please write a book. Because I, I just think that we all intuitively, we want to be rich or just a little bit richer than we are. We just want a little bit more than we have now. And I think the second reason is it's hard. It is hard to be rich 
and to be a godly disciple of Jesus at the same time. I think riches are the thing we struggle with the most. Jesus, Jesus talked about money and the abuse of money the most and stewardship of money the most. I think it's the thing that we all want the most. And so Jesus starts here and says, hey, here's where I'm going to start with my disciples. And this is especially pertinent for us, I think, in the church in America. But don't take my word for these things. You could take Jesus' word, his words a lot better than mine. We're going to get to chapter 18 eventually in the Gospel of Luke. And it says, Jesus, seeing these things, he became sad. The rich young ruler said, how difficult it is for those to have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And why, why is this? Again, I think a lot of reasons, but there's probably two reasons that are enough for us this morning. One, I think it's too tempting to use ungodly and unrighteous means to accomplish the ends of wealth. It's just too tempting. It's just too darn tempting to use ungodly or unrighteous means to get to the ends of of becoming wealthy. And also I think it's just too tempting to, to gain wealth and to keep Jesus the main thing without making money the main thing. You know, a few weeks ago I asked all of you to, to stand if you felt like God had anointed you, set you apart for something in particular. And 22 of you stood up that morning as I've been telling you. And I've been meeting with the people that stood up and to try to help guide them, direct them, help them to hear from the Lord in some way, help, help encourage them anyway. If I could resource, if our whole church could resource them in any way, how, who can I connect them with? How can we help? And there was one of our partners who I met with recently who said, you know, I don't know how to say this, but I feel like God wants, God wants to bless our work and our business, and he wants to give us a lot of resources so we can fund a lot, of, a, a lot of kingdom work around the world. And I want to tell you, like, I've heard that before, right? So I'm like, <laughs> that's what I say too, you know? I mean, I was like, yeah, Lord, just lay it on me, you know? And then, like, I'll give, like, a bunch of it away, you know? But what I loved about the next part of this conversation was the guy said, and I'm telling you because I want to be accountable to my pastor. I'm serious. I'm serious. And I know this is going to be hard. I know there's going to be temptation once it starts coming. And it is coming. And it's, really, it's becoming really successful. And I know there's going to be temptation in these ways. And I just want to be accountable. Maybe you can relate to this. I want to say clearly in all these things, Jesus is our greatest example. And he's our greatest example here too. I mean, Jesus was for all intents and purposes, a blue-collar worker who likely worked paycheck to paycheck. He was a, a carpenter and a mason of some sort, right? And he, he built things with his hands. He was a blue-collar guy that got paid, you know, when he did the job. I don't know if he got 50% down and 50% at the end. I don't know if all, all the rest of you contractors, he had to, like, send a lot of emails and phone calls to get paid. I, I, don't, I don't know. But, but I'm pretty sure he would work like that. And then he left carpentry, which was, um, you know, somewhat, you know, lucrative, probably not. And then he became an itinerant preacher. So, like, think about the guy that, like, goes around and doesn't have a place to stay and needs to stay at your house because he doesn't have money for a home. And just what Jesus said. As they were going along the road, so he said to some, someone, said, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus was like, really? Because <laughs> uh, foxes have holes and, uh, and birds of the air, they have nests. But uh, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Like, I don't, I don't own a home. I don't even rent. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I just go from place to place. So if you really want to follow me, that's, that's what it's going to be like. And what I love is that Jesus is saying these things, but I've told you this a hundred times. And I'm going to tell you 101. Jesus never asked us to do anything he's unable, unwilling to do himself. He's incredible. And if you're not yet a Christian, I'm just telling you, Jesus always goes first. He always goes first. And he does in this thing too. Jesus was an um, e eternal heir. Like, not a billionaire, like an eternal heir. Like, he has unlimited resource. 
And the Bible said he left heaven. He decided, I'm not going to be an eternal heir. I'm going to be like a hundred heir. I mean, maybe Jesus had less than a hundred bucks in his pocket at any given time. I, I don't know. I know we got a, you know, a real, a, a real um, anyway, not so great guy that kept track of all the money. You remember the story? But, like, but, but Jesus, I don't know if he had like, hey, here's a 20. or I don't know how he did it, but he only had enough for a given day, it seems. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Rich toward God. Jesus left the riches of heaven to become poor and to live a life, a sinless life before God, to die a substitutionary death, to rise from death so that we could, through him, be rich toward God. It's amazing. So I want to say really clearly this morning, it's better to be poor with Jesus than rich without Jesus. It's better to be poor with Jesus than rich without Jesus. And if we want to be disciples of Jesus, I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to shoot straight with you, we have to believe this. We have to believe this is actually true. And not not only is it true, that it's good, and that he is good, even in this. And even if we have relative poverty. And I'm just assuming that if we're sitting here this morning, we don't have relative poverty. So praise God for that. Um, This morning, I I want us to... um, I want us to believe these things because some of these things are hard to believe. I think about the father who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So I want to I I read this together. When I say these words, it helps me to believe it. Um, and I want that to be true for you. So w- will you say this together with me? It is better to be poor with Jesus than rich without Jesus. And I just want you to hear your mouth saying those words. And believe that. There's a second contrast Jesus shares with his disciples. It's in verse 21 and then back to 25. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And then woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. And here we see that Jesus is the one who says that the good life is with him, even if we are wanting instead of full. Even if we are wanting instead of full. These four blessings, they, they're in a logical order. Those who are poor are usually people who are wanting, Right? They're more likely to be hungry, wanting, for food in particular, but for all kinds of things. You know, most Christians around the world don't enjoy the good food that we do. You know that, right? Like most Christians around the world do not enjoy. Like last night, we were at our home, and it was a last-minute dinner with some of the young studs in our church. I love these guys. And they came over for dinner, and Dean and I, we, we, we were in the kitchen. We're trying to get it together a little bit last minute, but we had, we had like, oh, we had like pasta al dente, you know, with like Italian sausage just cut just so... And the pairings for everything were just, were good. It was just like, oh, they were around the table and it was warm and it was oh, soaked in garlic and olive oil and it was like awesome. Like we enjoy really good food, right? Most Christians around the world don't and that's why the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation is such an incredible thing. It's such a big deal. Like we're thinking like, oh, we've, we've had like four-star food and five-star food, but what's like, what is heaven's ratings, you know? Like, and, and most Christians around the world are eating porridge, okay? And rice, and so they're thinking about this amazing meal that they're going to share with Christ and other disciples someday. And it's a really, really big deal to them because people who are poor are also likely to be wanting in other areas. Like, they're also likely to not have really great education systems for their kids. And they're likely to not be healthy because they're eating horrible food. And they're also likely not to have great health care because they live in places that don't care about that or can't do anything about it. Or they don't have a great housing or real estate opportunities, you know, like, like we do, even in the midst of our down economies. And 
They don't have the kind of security that we do. People take advantage of them. And, and people who are poor are working all the time. They don't have margin to spend time with their family and their friends. And they don't have an ability to build a legacy. The kinds of legacies that we think about, about passing things along to our children and grandchildren, they, they don't even think about those things. They're just trying to be full for the day. But Jesus tells his disciples that there's a different kind of satisfaction, right? A different kind of fullness that can be found only in and through him. Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And the audience that Jesus was talking to, when he said these words, I have to believe they were thinking about Isaiah 55. I wish they would think about the rest of Isaiah 55, <laughs> all the things about Jesus and the suffering servant and all the things that, that we see in 53 to 55, but but I, I have to believe they were thinking about Isaiah 55, which says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And who has money, come buy. Come and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. For why do you spend your money for, for that which is not bread and your labor for what, that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. He's saying, come to me. This is where you find your hunger satisfied, your thirst satisfied, and not just from food, but whatever it is or wherever it is that you're looking to find your fulfillment outside of Jesus. Jesus is saying, you're not going to find it. You're going to be empty and wanting, but if you find your fullness in me, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, not might be, they shall be, they will be filled. And if you're a Christian, you know this to be true, that there's things in life that you want, and there's times that you feel wanting, but at the end of the day, you have everything that you need in him, amen? And he satisfies you, is that true? And this morning, we're going to share communion together, and we're going to experience that together. We're going to share communion. We're going to have the bread and the cup, and we're going to realize that it's, it's a symbol and a sign. Yes, it, it points us. It reminds us. We're going to remember Jesus. But as we take the elements, you're, you're, you're also going to have this sense that, that Christ is nourishing you in some way, that he's sustaining you in some way, that you're going to be strengthened. And how many times is that true? When you take communion, you just feel strengthened through this because Christ strengthens you. And again, Jesus is our great example in what it means to be filled with the things of God. He said in John 4, my food, my food, this is what fills me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And if you're a Christian, you know that. You know that you could be physically hungry. You could be wanting in terms of a relationship or something in life that you want to accomplish, a goal or a standard that's not yet met, something that you know is even a godly. It's not an ungodly thing. It's just something you're after, and it's not there yet. And, but, but notwithstanding that, if you're a Christian, you know this is true, that the place you find the most satisfaction, when you feel the most full, is when you are doing his will and involved in his kingdom work. Amen? This is where it's at. If you're a Christian, you know this. You know that it's better to be hungry with Jesus than to be full without Jesus. And again, if, if, <laughs> it's better to be lacking any of these things, education, health, health care, a chance to buy a home, real estate, security, margin, a chance to build some kind of legacy that's just good for here. Like, it's better to not have all of those things and to have Jesus, to be filled with him, and to have a legacy that's eternal, not just temporal. If we want to be disciples of Jesus, again, we have to believe this. And we have to believe that it's good. And we have to believe that he is good. And he's good to say this. And he's good to direct us in this way. 
So I want to ask you to read this with me, and I want to ask you to do it with some, with some confidence and with some faith this morning. And God would increase our faith. Would you read this together? Would you say this together with me? And confess it if you believe it. Here we go. It is better to be hungry with Jesus than to be full without Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is dropping these, like, these are big, right? And he's like, I'm just going to keep going. So number three, right? Third contrast Jesus shared with his disciples, 21, 25 again. Blessed, happy, this is a good life. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. But woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and you shall weep. Jesus is the one who says the good life is with him, even if we are mourning instead of laughing. Even if we are mourning instead of laughing. Now, again, Jesus is not saying that the Christian life is a joyless life or the Christian life is a sad life or the Christian life is that Eeyore kind of life. No, no, no. The Christian life is a joyful life, isn't it? And at Village Church, we have seven values, and joy is one of our values. Biblical authority, gospel centrality, prayer, joy, humility, hospitality, outreach. Joy is one of our seven values. We had seven values that we could pick, and joy is one of them because we believe there's a lot of joy to be found in and through Jesus, and that Christians should live a joyful life. Again, this is just good biblical wisdom. There's verses all over the place, but Proverbs says a joyful heart's good medicine, and a crushed spirit dries up the bones. That's good to be joyful and to laugh. Jesus is going to say in a few verses from now to his disciples that, that they should rejoice in that day. In what day? And leap for joy, and behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so they did to their fathers, did to the prophets before you. Jesus is saying you should have joy. You should leap for joy when you're persecuted. Like, Christians should have joy even in those things, Jesus is saying. I believe what Jesus is saying is that disciples should not live with a kind of blind blissfulness that worldly people do who are rich and full, who are blind to the brokenness that's in the world, that's in people's lives because of sin. I think this is the sort of thing that Jesus is saying, that his disciples don't live with a blind blissfulness that just doesn't see or doesn't want to see the brokenness that's in the world and in people's lives because of sin. Commentator R. Kent Hughes says it this way, and I couldn't say it better, so I'm just going to say it like he says it. What Jesus assaulted is the superficial, shallow mirth that characterizes the world. The inability to weep at the right things and the ability to laugh at the wrong things. The way I would say that, just simply, is <laughs> disciples of Jesus are called to live sober lives, not silly lives. There's so much silliness. There's so much just... It's just meaningless. We say so many words. There's so many empty words. There's so many empty things. We just do and say silly things, and, and we can have fun. And look, I want to have fun along with the best of them. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I want to be the fun person. Like, I, I want to have a good time. I feel like that's part of the way God made me. I'm glad for that. But, but listen, Christians are supposed to be sober, not, not silly. There's a difference between fun and silly. We should be seeing these things, and, and, and this is why. This is why most hospitals... This is why most food banks, this is why most orphanages, this is why most women's shelters, this is why most treatment centers, this is why most NGOs were started and created by Christians. And if you're not yet a Christian, I just encourage you to look it up. Like, th this is why Christians have started so many of these things. Because Christians saw something in the world that was wrong that needed to be made right. They mourned over it, and then they did something about it. And this is what Christians do so that they could bring the most joy to other people 
where their lives are helped in some way, but ultimately they find the ultimate help they need in Jesus Christ through faith and hope and trust in him. That it's not just about what they're struggling with in this life, but what is awaiting them in the life to come. It's, it's coming to faith in Jesus ultimately as they have their needs met by people who love and serve and follow Jesus. But I want to say this can even happen to us as disciples. We can too easily laugh at things that we should be ashamed of actually. And we can too easily take too long to, to see the things that, that we should be mourning over, that we should be moved by. It all takes us too long. And I just want to say, you know, as a church, I, I've been saying that we want to we emphasize this, this outreach value at our church over the next 18 months. And maybe now we're into, I don't know, 15, 16 months left. But we, we want to emphasize this outreach value. It's the last of our seven values, and I feel like it works out of the others. But I just want to say as humbly as I can, I think this is the one we have the most work to do on. And, and it's not because I don't think that I or our pastors or any of you, our partners, that we don't care about people that don't follow Jesus. I, what I think is we have a lot of joy following Jesus together, don't we? Got a lot of joy following Jesus together. We're a church that loves to be together. We love to celebrate. We love to cook food and enjoy meals. Like, we love to have each other in our homes. We love to meet together and be together. We're, we're, we're anxious to get to church on Sunday because we just want to be together. We, we love being with each other. And I think we could, we could even be the kinds of people that miss this. We miss the fact that there are a lot of people that are dying outside of Christ, that are living their lives right now outside of Christ. And, and they need us to go reach out to them, and they need us to invite them in. And again, Jesus is our greatest example in what it means to mourn over the most important things. In chapter 19, we're going to get to this eventually in Luke, where it says, and when he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace. If you would only know that I'm here not to just make peace on earth. I'm here to make peace between you and me. But now this is hidden from your eyes. Jesus is mourning over the reality that these people are going to reject him instead of accept him. Jesus models something for us of, about what the ultimate thing is that we should be mourning over. And I want to just, just gently but clearly say that, that this is where the social justice movement goes wrong. And this is where the social justice movement within the church goes wrong. Just meeting the actual needs without pointing to the bigger, deeper, actual spiritual need. We've talked about this before in this analogy of the train station where a lot of us are like, you know, the world is like a train station and there's a north and southbound train. And too many, too many quote-unquote progressive Christians today are spending too much of their time trying to beautify the train station and they're not getting anyone on the northbound train. And that is, that's not a loving thing to do, actually. And that's, that's, that's not the greatest thing to mourn over, the condition of the train station. Yes, let's fix the condition of the train station. Let's make, let's make however long a person you know, sits in that seat you know, as comfortable as possible, but let's point them to the northbound train, amen? So I hope I said that as gently but as, as straight as I, I, I can. This morning we see that it's better to be mourning with Jesus than to be laughing without Jesus. And again, this is just something we have to believe. It's something that, that we, we, need, we need to believe this, we need to affirm this. And we have to believe that it's good and that he is good in this to give us a life where we actually feel the things that, that are harming people when we meet those needs, but we're also feeling the actual thing that's gonna harm them for eternity if they don't place their faith and hope and trust in Jesus. It's better to be mourning with Jesus than laughing without Jesus. And again, I just want, to, I want, us, to, I want us to say this boldly. I want us to, to say this in faith, to believe this by faith. Let's say this together. Let's confess it together. 
It's better to be mourning with Jesus than laughing without Jesus. That's true. There's one last contrast. We're going to end our time together in this passage this morning that Jesus gives his disciples. It's in verse 22 to 23, and we find the contrast in 26. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so they, their fathers did to the prophets. And then Jesus says, listen, but woe to you. Woe to you when pe all, all people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And here lastly, we see this morning that Jesus is the one who says that the good life is with him, even if we're rejected instead of accepted. Jesus is the one who says the good life is with him, even if we're rejected instead of accepted. Now, listen, notice that Jesus doesn't say, blessed are you when people hate you and revile you and they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name for whatever reason. Just for whatever reason, that's why they do it. No, no, Jesus says, when they do these things on account of the Son of Man. On account of the Son of Man. And too often I think too many Christians go like, well, I'm getting persecuted because I'm a Christian. It's like, no, because you're, you're rude. <laughs> and because you're lazy at work. And because you don't smile, you know. You, you don't do normal things. Because, because when you see a certain kind of person, it triggers you and so you... You, you act rudely toward them. Jesus says, when you do these things on account of my name, and I want to say that said, that, that, that said, clearly, like, we could do better, okay? Like, clearly, we could, we could be more kind. Clearly, we could be more inviting. Clearly, we could be less rude or agitated about certain things. And I just want to tell you, if you're not yet a Christian, sometimes Christians are agitated, and they want to be agitated. They are agitated in a righteous kind of way. And righteous anger is like the thing that, that you're angry about, the right thing for the right reason and in the right way. And I just want to say, if you're not yet a Christian and you're discovering or you're looking at this stuff, I'm just saying, a lot of times Christians are angry about the right things. Like, there's a lot of things that are broken in the world because of sin, and we want to help, and we see those things. We're mourning over those things. And, and, and it's the right reason, because ultimately those things are going to lead to a life outside of Jesus for eternity. But sometimes we just don't do that in the right way. And if some Christian has done that to you, please forgive them and please forgive us. We want to be righteously angry about the things that, that God's angry. God's angry about certain things. Righteously so. There's certain things that ought not to be. And the list is too long for this morning. But all of that said, I want to say clearly this. We are living in a day and a time where a spiritually passive, progressive, and culturally woke form of Christianity, which I think will remain accepted for a little while, though I believe it's rejected by God. I mean, you look at any, any mainline denomination today, most of them are, they are decimated. And the reason is, is because they've made a decision from the top that if we just bow our knee to culture in some kind of way, culture will like us and accept us. And that might last for six months, if that. And then what's happening is culture says, no, 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 but you still have the label Christianity. You're still attached to Jesus, and we don't want anything to do with that. These churches are trying to compromise and say, like, we'll compromise, and then they'll come in. And the reality is, no, they're leaving faster than they ever have before because you're not telling them the truth about what it really means to follow Jesus. And we are getting into a time where, where that kind of Christianity will be accepted and is right now for a while, but... It's true, spiritually true, active, historically orthodox, colorblind, as it always should be, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, <laughs> like 
that kind of Christianity, which I think is accepted by God but rejected by the world, will become increasingly hard to live out in a world that wants to reject it. I've recently been listening to this book, and I'm not endorsing it or everything in it. I'm just saying I'm listening to it, and it's been helpful to me in some way. Life in the Negative World by Aaron Wren. And he's, um, he's qualified in many ways to write this book, but he talks about this idea that, that there was a positive world for Christianity, and then there was a neutral world for Christianity, and then there's now a negative world for Christianity in our culture. Maybe you've noticed this. And if you're a boomer or if you're my age, um, you understand this, that, that you look at these dates and you go, yeah, you know, like there was a day when, when if you were a Christian, that was a good thing for you in business or in your community or in politics or in our culture, and that was a good thing, and you're still living in that kind of mindset, and I want to tell you, that is over, and it was a long time ago. I just want to shoot straight with you. That's gone. It's over. It's never returning, right? And then there's this age where there's a neutral culture where, um, and you might recognize these dates, and you're like, yeah, this all makes sense, that like this is a neutral culture where it doesn't matter if you are or you aren't. It's not going to hurt you, and now today we actually live in a negative culture where all kinds of Christians are being canceled, even Christian businesses, all sorts of things are being pushed to the margin, not because they're rude, not because they're unkind, not because they're not helping in culture in massive ways, but because the culture just says, yeah, we reject that now. We reject you, we reject Jesus, we reject Christianity, we reject the gospel, we reject these things. And it feels like our country is headed down this social credit route where yeah, we're just gonna, we're gonna be living in a world where your life is going to be rated based on some sort of social credit from our culture. And I just wanna pause and say, this is the world that Jesus' disciples were living in when they heard these words from Jesus. They were living in a negative world. And as American Christians, we haven't ever lived in a negative world. We've only lived in a positive and a neutral world and today, we live in a negative world. And if you're a young person in this church, a college person in this church, you know what I'm talking about better than any of us. Again, Jesus is our greatest example here about how to live without fear of rejection. Remember the words I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus goes on to say in Luke 21, but before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues. That's weird, religious things. The greatest persecution for a church like ours probably won't come from the government. It will probably come from other so-called professing progressive Christians. It's gonna come from inside, not outside. I don't actually think they're inside, but you know what I mean. Secondly, the prisons. It's actually going, like, Christians are going to be persecuted to this point, and, and they are today. And you will be brought before kings and governors. Like, this will become a legal, civic kind of thing for my name's sake. And I just wanna tell you that, you know, Christianity has grown in our culture largely in a positive and neutral culture. But you know where Christianity has grown most around the world? And throughout world history? In very negative and hard cultures. And so my hope, my expectation actually, is that we're gonna see Christianity grow and rise in some ways in the days ahead. Because Christianity has always thrived in negative and hard cultures. I just wanna clearly say it's better to be rejected with Jesus than accepted without Jesus. And again, I hope you believe this. I believe that you do. And I know this is heavy and sometimes a little hard to hear. So I want us to confess it together and say it together. Will you, will you declare this with me in faith? It is better to be rejected with Jesus than to be accepted without Jesus.
that has to be more true than ever in the days ahead. Village Church, I'm here to tell you that Jesus became poor so that we could become rich toward God through him. And Jesus was emptied so that he could make us full toward God. And that Jesus wept so that we could have joy in God through the truth of the gospel. And Jesus was, re was rejected so that we could be accepted by God because of what he's done for us. And that's the good news this morning, that Jesus lived a perfect life toward God so that we could experience the good news in God, in and through him. And I hope that all of this is good news. I hope that is especially good news for you this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for, for telling us what it is, just for shooting straight with us. Thank you for telling us very clearly what it means to be your disciple. Lord, forgive us for wanting to pursue a good life through riches and fullness, through a blissful, thoughtless life, through, through acceptance of the world and prevailing culture. Help us to be the kinds of people, Lord, give us faith to believe that we find the good life in and through you, spiritually rich, spiritually full, Lord, just because of you, in and through you, spiritually happy and accepted by God. Who would we rather be accepted by? By Jesus. We thank you that you accept us because of what you've done for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.